is no guarantee for success, but there are ways to get closer to it when you do the right things. Who you surround yourself with is just as important as what you do. Finding the right people, the right classes, the right activities, and taking the right tests are all decisions that shape your future. Find out more today on Destination University with Dr. Cynthia Colon. Dr. Colon and her guests will give you the tips you need, whether you're a student, parent, or educator. Now, here is your host, Dr. Cynthia Colon. When was the first time you ate something that was, quote, good for you? Mom or dad tried to get you to eat your veggies with a smile and a promise that this odd-looking item on your plate is good for you. Nope, we cannot be tricked that easily. Broccoli, spinach, kale are all vegetables we say no to decades before we know they are good for us. A simple shake of the head or a wave off with a flick of the hand, and just like that, we pass judgment on something we likely have never tasted. Many adults are not good models. Kids eat what we eat, they do what we do, say what we say. They are perfect examples of playing follow the leader. Just like types of vegetables, there are literally thousands of colleges to choose from. There are over 4,000 colleges and universities in the United States. Let that sink in. There are more colleges than there are shopping malls, Apple stores, amusement parks, and national parks combined. My question today is this. What is the harm in learning about a college you've never heard of? Today, there are two lessons. Follow the leader and know before know. I'm Cynthia Colon, author of the book Tips, Tales, and Truths for Teens. Welcome to Destination University, where we explore extraordinary people who lived ordinary childhoods and found a pathway to college. If you are a student, parent, educator, this show is for you. <laughs> um, I am broadcasting live from Los Angeles, and Maria, Maria, you are in Salt Lake City. Is that correct? I am. Thank you. We are here for our national conference. Oh, that's fantastic. So explain to people what the national, you're there for NACAC, which um, our colleagues and peeps will know what that means. But explain to our listeners, what does that mean? NACAC, or the National Association of College Admission Counseling, is our governing body for the world of college, college admission. It gives us our guidelines. It gives us our best ethical paths. It makes sure that it monitors the schools and the counselors and the admission reps and the colleges and making sure that we're doing the best that we can for students and to make sure that we're behaving in ethically and morally appropriate ways. It's rarely a problem, but it's good to have a governing body out there. <laughs> Absolutely. You're right. And what's the weather like there right now? It's lovely. It is a lovely fall day. The sun is out. The air is nice. Uh, the evening last night was just a little bit cool. Very lovely. Just the right oh. time of year to be here. Oh, great. I was in Salt Lake City when uh, NACAC was there last time, and it was it's just a really nice, clean city, as you said. So, great. Um, listeners, I am so excited for you today. If you haven't listened to the, the last episodes, please do. I encourage you, because we've talked about prestigious and brand name schools. We've talked about how to choose a college list of schools. And then last week we were with uh, Dr. Angel Perez from Trinity College. Um, But today you have Maria Furtado, national spokeswoman and the executive director of Colleges That Change Lives. Maria has a job that I'm extremely jealous of because she gets to promote and sell not one college, but 40, actually like 44. And um, if I haven't said it already, Maria, thank you so much. It's quite an honor to have you here. So... Um, is it 40 or 44, technically? Well, first, thank you for asking. I always appreciate being asked. Uh, it's 44. So yeah. there are 44 schools in our nonprofit membership. And the way it came and grew was through a book called Colleges That Change Lives. And when mm-hmm. the first book was published years ago by Lauren Pope, who was the New York Times education editor and an independent counselor for years and years, he wrote about residential small liberal arts colleges in a way that people hadn't really written about them before. Mm. And he profiled 40 schools. And the profile chapters were always incredibly helpful for families. But in some ways, what's even more helpful is the opening chapters to the books that are more philosophical Uh and more about how you can step away from relying solely on rankings or relying too much on rankings do relying too much on reputation and really giving giving students and parents in some ways the permission to step back and think about this in a bigger 
bigger, I usually say bigger, bolder, braver way. Right. And when, when he first published the book, a very smart person working at Beloit College in Wisconsin said, gee, maybe we could work together as a group. So we started working together um, unofficially as a group, and we did that for many years. We've been working together for over 20 years now. Oh, wow. So, I didn't so, know that. Yeah, it's been over 20 years. It's been all of my professional career, really, mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. college admission has been somehow related to CTCL, which has been a glorious thing for me. And then as Lauren aged, he still wrote two more revisions of the book. And by aged, I mean, he was pretty amazing. His first books he wrote in his mid-80s, not, wow. the, mid, not the mid-80s, but his mid-80s. Wow. And, and the last revision that he did, he was in his early 90s. He was, I think, 94 years old. Wow. And so as he aged, we were not sure if there would ever be another version of the book. So we went to him and asked, could we have his blessing to start a nonprofit organization? And that's what we did. And that's been about 12 years. And the 40 schools that were profiled in the, the last book Lauren worked on himself, which was the 2006 book, mm. that book, those 40 schools were our charter members or founding okay. members. Right. And then a new book was published in 2012. Um, an author was hired by Lauren's family because they have all the control over the, the book itself. So they hired an author to do a revision in 2012. When she did that, she profiled four different schools. So she, in essence, um, took four out and put four in, which in some ways I think makes perfect sense if you're publishing the same book for the fourth time. Right. Um, right. So she put four schools in that were, had not been profiled before, and we invited them to join our nonprofit, and they chose to do so. So we have 44 colleges and universities in our nonprofit. I love it. And I just... First of all, mid '80s. Wow. So one, the first lesson, if you listeners, if you don't have a pen and paper already, I always say you got to write these golden nuggets down. First of all, it's never too late to write a book, and what a visionary Lauren Pope was to to make a statement and say, let's look at these colleges um, more than just their numbers or their rankings, but really what they offer, what it feels like, what the culture is like, and what they, um, how you come out as a person um, after the end of those four years. So. That's I, I agree. I always thought it's, and I still think it's really fascinating that he was able to find a a thread that he could weave between these forty schools because they have some really distinct personalities. You know, <laughs> there are schools all across the social political spectrum in this organization, and mm-hmm. that he profiled in these books. And when I look at that and I say, what an amazing mind to be able to see a great connection mm-hmm. um, and a way that you could have a book that includes, you know, ultra liberal places like Hampshire, Antioch, Marlboro, Guilford, Clark, Goucher. Eckert, so many of the, the very liberal schools, and then at the other end, schools that certainly have a more uh, more conservative social political community, like a Wheaton College in Illinois or mm-hmm. Hillsdale College in Michigan. So it's really interesting to see that uh, he could find that thread, and that's one of the things. He was a fascinating guy. He traveled with us when we first started traveling, so he was in his mid-80s doing five cities in five days wow. in, five, in five states. And wow. uh, he was great. He was really a, a wonderful, a wonderful thinker. I mean, yeah. he was a man of his time in many ways. You know, I've had people say, well, he always writes he in his books. Well, a lot of times he did. But again, he was a man of his times in some ways. Too. <laughs> right, right. I got you. Oh, I love that. Well, you know what we want to do is we want to really also talk about you and your journey, which is this show is about extraordinary people like yourself, who lived ordinary childhoods. And so, uh, you know, I want to hear and I want the listeners to hear about your journey as well. <clears throat> and then we'll talk more about CT, uh, CTCL uh, at, at the end as well. But Maria, for our listeners, describe um, your, you know, what, where you grew up, your family, what did that look like? And um, what were you like as a kid? I grew up in New Bedford, Massachusetts, which is just before you get to the Cape, so not quite as glamorous as the Cape. <laughs> uh, and I grew up in a very Portuguese area, as in in a Portuguese family. So in some ways, it was um, very comforting and very comfortable. Uh, my parents did not go to college, but they were always really interesting. They were interesting thinkers, and they were always willing to learn. Uh, one of the things I loved about my mother. Every day, she read the newspaper, old-fashioned newspaper, Mm. up until the day she passed. She was 89 years old when she passed. But every day, she read the newspaper, and she read a little bit of everything in the newspaper. She had no interest, for example, in ever touching computers. She somehow (laughs) felt that she could take down the whole Internet just by using one computer. 
But she so she didn't want to use them, but she wanted to read a little bit about how computers worked, how the web was changing, what the internet was doing, all of those things. So that if she was out somewhere and someone was talking about it, she felt that she could uh, contribute to the conversation and that mm-hmm. she could be knowledgeable. And I always respected that about her. She was just always really, really willing to continue learning. And my dad was the same way. They were just. They, they weren't necessarily educated in the traditional way. My mom did finish high school. My dad did not because I had mm-hmm. much older parents. And so in his time frame, when you got to eighth grade, if your family needed you to work, you went to work. And that's what he did. Wow. But it was, it was very, they were curious. They were curious. They were. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's one of the things I really liked. Um, I really, I really liked and respected about them. So I went to the high school where I grew up. You didn't really do a lot of contemplative (laughs) high school searching. You went to the high school or you went to the Vogue. Those were your choices, really. Um, A handful of people went to the Catholic high school in the next town over. And that was about it. And so it wasn't the same kind of uh, searching and soul searching that some of our 14 year olds do now as they look at high schools. And, and we have a four year old. And as we look forward and we say, Oh my goodness, we'll be looking at all of these things for high school. And we both look at each other and go, but we just went to the high school. It's kind of (laughs) an interesting way to look at the world. It changes. And I didn't really know what to do about the college search. My parents had always sort of made an assumption that I would go, and I always made an assumption that I would go. But we didn't really know exactly what to do. But I'm very good at, at watching and learning. And so I would watch, and I would say, oh, well, my friends whose parents went to college, they're doing this. They're going to what's that thing? Oh, they're going to a college fair. Okay, Ma, we're going to go to this college fair. Let's go. So we would go to the college fair, and we would watch, and we would see, well, what are they doing? Oh, that's what they're asking. Oh, well, let's ask some questions. All right, that's a good idea. I went to a big public high school. My, my senior class was 775. So even though I was a good kid, I didn't get in trouble. Wow. I was probably in the top 3% of my class, but my counselor didn't know me. And that makes perfect sense, given the the the, course, the caseload that he would have had at that time. Did you so, say seven hundred seventy five in oh, your high oh, school yes. or in your in your uh, senior class? In my senior class. Holy yes. smokes! Okay. Wow. Yeah. Well, that's what happens when there's only one high school. Right. Right. The high school. So, <laughs> the high school. The high school. And. Uh, so we just followed along, and I was lucky. I followed along in a way that I found a really nice small group of schools to apply to. And I somehow decided somewhere along the line uh, when I was a young teenager that I wanted to be a lawyer. And I didn't <laughs> necessarily just want to be a lawyer. I wanted to be Clarence Darrell specifically, including the suspenders. I wanted the suspenders, so the whole deal. I wanted to be Clarence Darrell. Love it. And so that was sort of my goal. And I, I realized that I had to go to college to go to law school. And so that was what we did as we looked. And I ended up ultimately at the school that I went to in in the way that so many kids end up where they go, because it felt right. We went to visit. We made the extraordinary exotic journey to go from New Bedford (laughs) to Boston to visit a school, which when I was a kid, that was an incredibly exotic idea. Let's go to Boston for the day. Right. How many how many miles away was that? 50, 50, maybe. (laughs) Maybe that's, that's a haul. That's from here to uh, San Diego for me. Yeah, that well, was a big true. deal. Yeah, no, it's a big deal. And on the way home from visiting one school that I didn't particularly like, we were driving down the highway and I, we got to an exit and I asked my dad, I said, is that the, the exit for the other school, that other school I was looking at? And um, he said, yeah. And my dad was very much a point A, point B kind of guy. He didn't do detours very much. He was a truck driver. He had to be somewhere. <laughs> so, uh, but he, he detoured. And when we stopped at the campus and I, I, wa- I started walking around, I was kind of like, this fits the picture in my head. Mm-hmm. This fits the picture in my head. Because when you're a first-gen kid and you've only been to two other campuses that don't really fit the picture in your head, and then you walk on a campus and it does fit the picture in your head, it feels good. It feels yeah. really good. And, mm-hmm. and to, to make sure that your, your listeners don't think I'm totally shallow, mm-hmm. um, they also had the major I was looking at. So have that intellectual curiosity <laughs> on that side as well. But key point. Was, yes, exactly. But it felt like, it felt like the right place. And so I, I, thinking back, way back, way back, um, mm-hmm. I, I must have applied early decision or early action because I found out really early in the process that I was admitted. And um, we were lucky the financial aid worked for our family. And so... That was it. My search was done. So in, in many ways, I was very lucky, even though I sort of feel like I stumbled into the luck in some ways. Well, you you, you might have stumbled, but right, like luck is, you know, um, 
when preparation meets opportunity. And so I heard you say a couple of things that I, I want to just point out for our golden nuggets for our listeners. And that is, first you said that your parents were very curious. They read, they were readers. So that was a good role model for you at home. Then you also said that you, at school, you were doing what other people that you knew um, that their families had gone to college. You were sort of what we call following the leader, which was what we mm-hmm. talked about at the very beginning here. You were following the leader. And I remember when we, in our discussion a few weeks ago, you said, well, her parents you know, had gone to college and they had all gone to I don't know, Ivy League schools. And so you just kept saying, well, if she's doing that, I'm going to do that. So you were really in tune to following the leader and doing what other people that you knew had been good to college w- w- was doing. And then um, you didn't share this story, so I'm going to share a little bit of it, but your uh, Latin teacher also encouraged mm-hmm. you to apply to one of the Ivy League schools. So you were thinking about that as well, right? So you had some supporters at school, correct? Oh, absolutely. Yes, yes. Mrs. Baker was very clear that I should apply to her alma mater, and I did. And um, I would be a hugely different person had that been where I ended up. Um, I don't I don't think I would dislike the person I would be, but I would definitely be a different person. Um, because I think that school would not have required, and I'm being ever so subtle and not using yeah. names. I don't know if I yeah. should be or not, but I, um, <laughs> I, I, I don't know that I would be as bold mm-hmm. as a human being, and I'm not the boldest person ever, but I don't think I would be as bold if I had gone to a school that wasn't quite as mainstream as where I did go. It felt mainstream to me, and I felt like I found a bunch of folks that were just a little bit off the mainstream, mm-hmm. and, and they made me stronger and bolder. And I think that had I gone to a school that where I didn't feel the need to be bolder, I wouldn't be as bold. Now, I will tell you the truth. My mother was never excited about that part where I got to be a little bit, you know, a little bit bolder <laughs> and a little bit mouthier. But uh, but overall, I think she was really pleased with what happened in my college experience. Oh, my God. That's that's pretty funny. <clears throat> well, Mom, you, you, you did good no matter what, Mom. You know, Maria, she turned out okay. Uh, we're going to take a break in a minute. But listeners, we are with Maria Furtado. Uh, Executive Director of Colleges That Change Lives. The lesson today, the first lesson, follow the leader. So I hope you have a pen and paper. And uh, today you're going to hear the names of colleges, many of which that you haven't heard of before. So if you don't have a pen and paper, please do get one. We've already, Maria has already dropped about 10 bombs already of things that you should be writing down. So stay with us. We need to take a commercial break, but grab your beverage of choice and get cozy. And we will be right back. Are you ready to become the applicant every college wants to admit? Would you like to become the adult that models success? Then join the thousands of students, parents, and educators who have found the perfect solution. Dr. Cynthia Colon, author of Tips, Tales, and Truths for Teens, offers motivational and empowering workshops and keynote addresses for your school or organization. She fuels confidence in students on their road to university life. Cynthia coaches parents, educators, and professionals to model a success mindset for students. Go to DrCynthiaColon.com to book her to speak, receive a free consultation, or have her as your personal coach. That's D-R-Cynthia-C-O-L-O-N. DrCynthiaColon.com. Visit the site today. tuned into Destination University. If you have a question about the program for Dr. Cynthia Cologne, please send an email to destinationuniversity at gmail.com. That's destinationuniversity with a Y-O-U at gmail.com. Now, back to this week's program. Welcome back, everyone. I'm Dr. Cynthia Cologne here with Maria Furtado former director of college admissions and currently the executive director of Colleges That Change Lives. You know, Maria, I'm going to have to confess right now that even though I've had this book in my office for years, um, it was only recently that I finally picked it up and started to read it. And oh my goodness, I just I just fell in love. And we, this is why this book uh, has been around for so long. And uh, you're right. Lauren Pope had a great vision of, of f- figuring out 
um, how to weave and thread these these colleges together, and it's just told all the stories are sort of told in a really wonderful way. And I found a couple of schools that I was like, hmm, I want to go, I want to go there, <laughs> I want to visit. So anyway, it's great to have you here. And um, where where we left off, uh, if you're just joining us, listeners, we left off where Maria was telling us about how she had her dad take a detour off the freeway, uh, off the highway, and went to see and fell in love with what would become her own college. So um, share with us sort of, um, you know, from there, uh, Maria, tell us the name of the, st- of, of the college and, and what you saw when you were on that campus. Because as a first generation to college student, you said something very clear, which is in your head when you arrived there, this was what you pictured. So can you explain what you mean by that? Absolutely. So I went to Stonehill College, which is in Easton, E-A-S-T-O-N, Massachusetts, <laughs> which happens to be in Eastern, E-A-S-T-E-R-N, Massachusetts, about 20 minutes south of Boston. And when you drove onto campus when I was there, and it's similar now, but they've done a, a, some, some work on the campus that makes it a little bit different. When I drove onto campus, there was a green, a big green expansive lawn on the right and the left. Mm, and then yeah. you drove up and there was a brick building with big white columns in, on your right and a, another brick building on the left. But directly in front of you was the big hill. And it was a surprise, big hill. <laughs> and at the top of the big hill was this beautiful brick building with beautiful white columns in front. And it was, it felt so majestic to me. Mm. And I can see it now in my head. And and when I was there, the, the the path was a straight line up to the big hill. And when you got to the bottom of the big hill, you're kind of looking up at this big mansion. And if I remember my Stonehill history correctly, it was actually the family home of the Ames family. Mm. And they were um, a very big family in that piece of Massachusetts. Their claim to fame was they were uh, a shovel manufacturing company. So <laughs> they, and they ultimately left all this land and some of that, and that particular building to the college. And so when I got there, there was just... For me, what the way I can articulate it now, I'm not sure I would have articulated it this way almost 40 years ago, but mm-hmm. I, what I would say is um, when I stood on the campus and I, and I kind of turned in a circle, everything I could see, I realized would be part of my community, part of my, my campus life. And when I had visited the school earlier in the day, I visited BU, which is an absolutely fine institution. But when I visited there and I stood in, on the, the at the campus, there were I didn't find a place at the time where I could stand and go in a circle and turn in a circle and say all of this is part of my campus life because mm-hmm. it, it's very urban, which right. is great for the right student, absolutely mm-hmm. wonderful for the right student. And I always thought that I wanted to go far from home to a big school. And um, I ended up 45 minutes from my house <laughs> at a school that was half the size, less than half the size of my high school. So things wow. evolve as you go through your search. But right. I knew that when I was in Boston, as much as I liked the idea of the urban campus, when I looked around, I did not see that this would all be part of my world. And when I stood on the Stonehill campus and I turned around in a circle, I could say, this is all going to be part of my world. And that also kind of fit the vision I had in my head. Oh, my goodness. I love this. So what I just took away from you, listeners, write this down. Um, Even when you think you know what kind of college, what type of college you're looking for, right? You thought you wanted to go far away and be in a big city. And you got there and saw that, um, you know, Boston University, which is which is a fantastic school. And you're right. It's it's right for a lot of people, maybe others that are looking like in, at NYU. But then I always used to tell students, try adding a few other schools that are completely different um, and just go take a look. Just go take a look. So it's really great that you were open to that. And what you're saying is, as you looked in a circle, 360 degree around, all of that was part of your, your campus. So... Fantastic. So Stonehill College, is there a, a skill or a lesson or a value that you took away from those four years from Stonehill that you still um, keep in your life today? I think probably the the willingness to be um, to be a little bit bolder thinker. Mm-hmm. Again, I'm not the boldest thinker out there, but a little bit bolder thinker than I think I would have been at some other institutions. And I feel like I can see connections well. Uh, you know, a good liberal arts education should always yeah. teach you to see connections right. and to see, uh, to understand how, for example, the economics and the art and the politics of a time come together in a certain way. And I feel like that's something I took from there. I will say, I think one of the best things that I took away from my education, high school and college together, was the ability to write. Mm. 
uh, I remember getting to college because I went to a big public high school. Mm-hmm. I remember getting to college and really being worried about those first few papers. And then, like a lot of places, people would say, can you read my paper, see how it sounds? Can you read my paper? And these were folks who had gone to you know, small independent schools, and I expected that they were somehow had written the great American novel for their 10-page paper. <laughs> and I would read through it, and I'm thinking, you need verbs, and, and there's no descriptor here. This is not that good. And so I was, it, it built my confidence when I then went back and looked at my own writing, and then I would get something wow. back from professors, and they'd say, you know, nicely written or really good ideas here and there. And so that built my confidence a lot. And I think some of that came from, even though I was at a big public high school, you know, pushing myself to take some of the challenging classes and, and having teachers who were willing to push back and say, use language better, you know, mm. do, do be a better thinker, be a more, think of a more creative way to word that. And so I, I think that between high school and college, I left a, a better writer and that has served me very well. There, I think, I believe there's no better skill than to be uh, a really good wa- writer and to find better verbs and you know, just better use of language. So, uh, and I will, I will say that. that I will say that no kids worry so much about their essays. Um, and I don't mean to add any kind of pressure to that <laughs> because I think that we, as we as college people, also have to remember that these are seventeen-year-old writers, and mm-hmm. they're coming with seventeen years of experience, not thirty-seven or forty-seven or fifty-seven years of experience in the world. They have seventeen years, and so I think we have to be respectful of that. And that writing is not a natural habit; it's not a natural skill for everybody. We could all write. We'd all have books on Amazon, and I would go up and look myself up every single day. But, um, right. and, but we aren't, and we don't. Right, right. And, you know, uh, so often in the classes I teach, the essay boot camps, is that I say, you know, this is not an English paper. It's so different to write a, a college essay than sort of a, you know, topic sentence and a thesis. Thing. So it's it's very different. And you're right. It does take practice. So thank you for saying that. And no pressure, listeners. Um so this uh, show is called Destination University, and I want to know sort of when did you know that college admissions was your calling? And I love this story. So tell us your journey on getting to what, what you do now, which is help thousands of kids every year. When I got out of college, um, I finished early. I finished after, in essence, three years in a summer. So I was looking for a job, as you do, and I had moved home and um, for about six months, I was living at home and substituting in high school. And a woman that uh, used to be the scheduler at a Woolworth store that I worked at contacted me and said, what are you doing? And I said, well, I'm trying to find a job. She said, come in on Tuesday and interview. I said, okay, for what? <laughs> and uh, so I went in and I interviewed and I ended up in the Woolworths management program. So I managed stores for Woolworths for six and a half years. Uh, but when you work for a small store like yeah. a small college, you do some of everything. And so my back <laughs> started to give out a little bit from umpteen freight trucks. And so I left and I, a woman that I had worked with worked at a company and she said, you know, we need somebody for a few months. Do you want to do this for a few months? I said, I'll do this for a few months. And I ended up being there for five and a half years. And then I, somewhere in there, had taken two classes at Clark University toward my master's. Mm. And I really liked the people that I met, and I liked the teachers that I met, and I liked the professors that I met. And I thought that it was really fascinating that in our very first class, for my very first master's class, mm-hmm. we all sat like you do when you're a student. You all sit in the student desks. And a woman came in, and she walked to the front, and she said, well, so nobody else sat at the teacher desk. I guess I'll sit at the teacher desk, and I'll teach. And I just thought it was such a, uh, <laughs> for me, it was sort of this unexpected way for her to start the class. And I really liked the people. So I was, I was laid off at that second job and mm-hmm. um, a friend had a birthday party. So I went to the birthday party and a woman at the birthday party said to somebody else, I work at Clark University. And I said, oh, and I gave myself a pep talk in the corner. I said, you need to go and network. You need to go over and introduce yourself and tell her you like Clark and see if she knows anything. So I went over and I introduced myself to an incredibly good friend, uh, <laughs> Carol Porco Easton. And I said, hi, I've taken a couple of classes at Clark. I really liked it. I heard you work there. Any chance you're hiring? Ooh. And coincidentally, her assistant had given her notice the day before. And so oh, wow. I was I was hired at Clark to work a 10-month operations position, and I started working a second job that very first day that I started working at Clark um, on the operations side. 
And I worked on operations for a couple of years and then applied for a counseling job. I didn't get it the first time, got it the second time, and ended up staying at Clark for 13 years, and I left after seven years as director. So I was the oldest rookie on the road. (laughs) So usually you go out in the fall as a rookie and you're 22, 23, you're just out of college. Maybe you did some traveling and maybe you did a grad program and out you go onto the road and you're 22, 23. I was 34. And so I was the old rookie on the road. Um, but somehow it was, it was a, it's a good business for me. I like that it's cyclical. I like that, you know, when you're an admission rep, you travel in the fall. And just when you don't want to travel anymore, it's time to go home and read. And when you don't want to read anymore, it's time to go home and travel a little bit. And then it's time to uh, evaluate what happened and then plan for the following fall. So I really always like that cyclical piece of the work that we do. And I liked the idea of being able to get people to think differently, families Mm -hmm. and students and counselors often, Mm -hmm. to think Mm -hmm. differently about what a college education can be. Because whether we like to admit it or not, we are a very name-brand-conscious culture. And so we're very quick and and it's easy to say, oh, I've heard of it, therefore I know it. But sometimes people don't dig deeply enough into the places they believe they know to find out if it really is a good place for them. And and when we talk about fit so much in this industry, we really have to be good, I think, to talk about an academic fit, a personal fit, and a financial fit, and making mm-hmm. sure that all those things come together for each student whenever possible. Oh, my gosh. So many golden nuggets. I'm, like, taking notes furiously here. Um, okay, so, listeners, first of all, Maria touched on the second lesson of the day, which is no before no. No, K-N-O-W, before no. And so we are in this um, culture of name brand. And I was so, when I became the director of, of college counseling after leaving Vassar College, I was at Marymount High School. And, you know, the, the culture there was, you know, which school, which best school can I get my kid into and, and all of that. And so we really tried to do a lot of educating our, our community about a number of different schools. So I was always really happy that there were colleges out there that did tours for counselors. And which is where we met, Maria. We met on the Beans Tour, which was in Boston and Clark University, which is when you were at Clark. So, um Explain to our listeners what that means for what is a counselor tour, because it it really helps when counselors understand a variety of colleges around the country. College reps recognize that one of their best and most amazing allies is the group of college counselors out there and CBO counselors, independent counselors, the people who work with students day to day in helping them build lists in helping them think about their strengths and their challenges and what kind of communities they want to be in and what they love to do and what they hope they never have to do again. So uh, colleges will often fly counselors in from around the country and around the world and they will have them on campus for Mm -hmm. as little as a morning or as long as two days and they'll do a combination of things with counselors. Make sure they take a tour so they get to actually see the physical space, but also make sure they meet with, if possible, some faculty, meet some mm-hmm. students, hear their stories. Maybe if they have alumni that are local and volunteer, maybe they'll talk with, they'll do a mock class or they'll be able to sit in on a class. Uh, they really have a chance, as we hope as much as possible on the college side, to get a really good sense of what, what a day would be like for students there, what an education would be like. So that when they go back to their campuses and a student walks in and says, you know, I'm really curious about, um, you know, the ocean and marine science and this and this. A counselor who's been on a tour, at, a counselor tour at Eckerd College is going to turn around and say, oh, well, think about Eckerd College. Or if they're really interested in zoology and, and animals that they might turn around and say, oh, well, make sure you take a peek at Ohio Wesleyan. They do the really right. cool program. Mm-hmm. And so it helps the counselors expand their abilities beyond what they can find on the web and what they learn from the reps when the reps come to visit them at the schools. Right. And it's an incredibly important tool, I think, for colleges. It's an expensive tool, and it's a real commitment to make yes. sure that you you bring people in. When you say, I'm going to fly in 35 people from you know, yep. 25 from, from the U.S. And, and another 10 international, you've made a real commitment. But we also recognize that, that knowledge is power for the counselors and that when they can say to parents, I've been on this campus, I've met the people, you can feel good about your student going 10 miles, 100 miles, 1,000 miles, 10,000 miles. You can feel good because they're going to go to a good community. 
Yeah, I always loved being able to say to a family, I've been there, um, exactly what you're just saying. And, and um, well, you know, there are some families that can afford to fly before choosing where to apply, and they can fly to, you know, 10 different schools in multiple different states. Um, most, most high school uh, families, high school uh, senior families can't do that. So it's nice to have someone in the office that's been, you know, was able to say, um, yeah, I've been there. I met, you know, I've met this person. I've met these people. I saw the city, that kind of thing. So um, I always really appreciated that. And I never visited more colleges than I did than when I was a, a college counselor. So I was really appreciative of that. Um, one more thing before we go to break is, um, listeners, you want to write down something else that I, I wrote this down as um, you were talking, Maria. It's not just about a personal fit. It's about an academic fit, a personal fit, and a financial fit. And it's just a, a worth noting that parents, if you're, if you have, if you have seniors in college, I mean, in high school, it's worth having a very open and candid conversation about um, what the finances are, uh, w- what's going to be um, available to them, so that they know and um, are very clear about that, because that's a big piece as well. Okay, well, um, w- grab your pen and paper if you haven't already. Uh, we are taking not- lots of notes, and we are certainly fueling confidence today. Lots of good, good information. We need to take a commercial break, but stick right here. When we come back, Maria will share her favorite tale about a student and offers her best tips for the college admission process. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. <music> Are you ready to become the applicant every college wants to admit? Would you like to become the adult that models success? Then join the thousands of students, parents, and educators who have found the perfect solution. Dr. Cynthia Colon, author of Tips, Tales, and Truths for Teens, offers motivational and empowering workshops and keynote addresses for your school or organization. She fuels confidence in students on their road to university life. Cynthia coaches parents, educators, and professionals to model a success mindset for students. Go to DrCynthiaColon.com to book her to speak, receive a free consultation, or have her as your personal coach. That's D-R-Cynthia-C-O-L-O-N. DrCynthiaColon.com. Visit the site today. are tuned into Destination University. If you have a question about the program for Dr. Cynthia Cologne, please send an email to destinationuniversity at gmail.com. That's destinationuniversity with a Y-O-U at gmail.com. Now, back to this week's program. Welcome back, everyone. You are listening to Destination University. I'm your host, Dr. Cynthia Colon, and I'm here with Maria Furtado, Executive Director of Colleges That Change Lives. Oh, my goodness. So we were, we're talking about there's so much to get to and so many golden nuggets. So um, we've been writing uh, furiously since Maria has been on. So thank you. You've been such a wonderful guest today. And I want to ask, so, you know, my book is called Tips, Tales, and Truths. For teens, and so I always like to ask, you know, what is your favorite tale? What is one tale, one applicant, maybe in the last um, several years that you can remember, and what makes him or her stand out? Well, first, thank you for giving me the invitation. Again, I really appreciate it. I've had fun. One of my favorite stories, because I think it says a lot about the actual person himself, but I think it also says a lot about how students can potentially look at this search a little bit differently. So I was working at Eckerd College in St. Petersburg, Florida, and I had a student apply from Ventura, California. And he's very strong. He was at the top of our pool. He got, he was admitted easily. He had a nice financial aid package from us, um, especially merit-based aid. Um, And he was down to two schools in April. And he Mm -hmm. was going between UCLA and Eckerd College, which is not something that happened a whole lot in my experience. (laughs) Um, We had a lot of crossover schools that we would see students uh, apply to regularly, but not so much down to a UCLA and and Clark. And I remember talking with him, and the comment that always stands out in my head is he said, my ego wants to choose UCLA. Mm -hmm. He said, but if, if I'm really thoughtful and honest, he said, 
then I need to choose Eckerd College because he said, I know I'm going to thrive in that kind of community with small classes, with faculty mentoring, with the opportunity to really do a lot more hands-on work more quickly. He said, I know I'm going to thrive. He said, I just have to beat back my ego and, and make sure that it understands that I'm making the right choice for both of us. And I just thought that was a very self-aware 17, 18-year-old right. boy. Um, right. and, and I waited. And I waited to see what would happen because all I could do was give him information. He came and visited. He was fortunate, as you said earlier. He was from a family that was fortunate enough to be able to bring him to campus to visit. And, you know, he did all the right things in his search. And I waited. And he ultimately <laughs> chose Eckerd. And I was really excited wow. because I really felt like he had been so thoughtful in the way that he went through the search. And he has... He really took advantage of everything that he could. I know that he made faculty connections because in in the glorious world of Facebook in 2018, I am friends Mm -hmm. with a professor who has mentioned him in work that they've done together and travel that they did together. He left Eckerd, has gone off to do a master's, took a a leave from his master's to do some work um, in Africa and is going back to finish his master's in Europe. You know, just really just has has really embraced everything that is right about a small liberal arts college education he he dug into the research he made the faculty connections he got involved in on campus he became a stronger uh, stronger thinker i'm assuming a better writer and and it really was a great experience and so i i did the the facebook stalking and i appropriately of course and i found him and i sent him a message and i said i think you must be done by now i'm going and i saw a note from one of the faculty about some of the things you're doing. And I said, I hope you had a good experience. And and a couple of months went by and I never heard. And I said, well, he's forgotten me. It's okay. I'm only his admission counselor. <laughs> and then he, uh, he he messaged back one day out of the blue and it was kind of like, oh my goodness, it's so nice to hear from you. And I had the best experience. Oh. And that always feels good. Yeah. You, yeah. You, there's a part of you as an admission rep that recognizes that you are a little bit torn because mm-hmm. you, you need to serve your institution. You need to fill your class. But the best way that you fill your class is to fill it with students who are going to stay, who are going to thrive, who are going to go out and be um, connected alumni. That's how you serve your institution best. Right. But at the same time, you meet kids and you're kind of like, oh, I want that one. Oh, I want that one. Oh, I don't think that one's a good match. And then mm-hmm. they look in your kind of, oh, no, this is not good for you, honey. Yeah. But, you know, you, you do what you think is right. Maybe I missed something. Um, so there's that counseling side that sometimes feels a little bit contradictory to your let's fill the class size. Yeah. Uh, but if you do it right, you, I think you can really um, not necessarily serve two masters, but really um, find, if you work hard at it, I think you can find the students who are going to come and enroll and fill your classes and are going to really thrive and be the, be the, play, be the students that really take everything they can out of their education. Well, I have so much respect for this kid that you just talked about um, because it it takes a brave 17-year-old, right, what I call a courageous leader to say, you know what, this just feels, you know, like the right thing to do for me. And um, I... I, this is one of the tales in the, in my book. And then just, you're making me remember uh, my best girlfriend from high school, Jessica Davis. Um, she was choosing between UCLA and Azusa Pacific University. And when she went to visit, she just had a, a, a gut feeling, a, a calling to, to be at APU. And as the salutatorian of the, of the, of our school, it was a big deal that we were finally going to have someone to go off to uh, UCLA. And, and we had our valedictorian going to Harvard, which was a big deal for our school, but she was brave and uh, went with what her gut is. So good for, for kids out there who follow their gut intuition. Just um, a, a quick connection yeah. to that. I have been friends with, um, with Mar- my friend Martha since we were in seventh grade and when we were in 12th grade and she was ready to go off to college and she said, oh, yeah, she said, I'm going to go to Earlham College in Indiana. And I desperately hope that I managed to keep this in my head. I don't think I did. Uh, but uh, what I thought was, oh, my goodness, who goes to Indiana? <laughs> and and that, But that's a very New England, very New England right. mindset. And right. I will tell you the truth. Martha had probably one of the best college experiences of everybody I know. She had an extraordinary experience. And the irony of it all is that you know, I have uh, you know, I have 
dozen friends who went to Earlham, and I've traveled with folks from Earlham over these years with with colleges right. that changed right. lives. And mm-hmm. some of my best my some of my very best friends are people who went to Earlham College. So oh, um, I think she made the, she made a great choice. So there's there's yeah. a lot of brave souls out there. See. I'm telling you, listeners, lots of colleges you've not heard of. I hope you're writing them down. Maria, I have, um, okay, so that's a tale. And um, so we need two, two more things from you. What is, the, what is the one truth you want everyone to know? And what is one tip that you have for everyone? The truth would be that the average admit rate, the average rate of admission, percentage of admission for four-year colleges and universities in this country mm-hmm. is in the mid-60s. So 65, 66% year after year after year. Mm-hmm. The The whole idea that every school is exclusive and every school is too hard to get into is just, just a total fallacy. And mm-hmm. I think that would be my tip is to make sure you understand, you understand that the possibilities are huge. Wow. That's huge. great. Yeah. Thank you for saying that out loud. I just I don't think that people are going to believe you even hearing it right oh, now. No, of course not. But it is true. Again, we started by saying there are thousands of colleges and universities to choose from. And then what is your one tip? I like this tip that you have. Oh, which tip did I give you? I have lots of tips. Which <laughs> okay. I think now. Uh, which tip did I give you, Cynthia? The what what your mom and dad would do every day. Read. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Yes, 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 yes. So lots of times people will say, you know, how can I improve my test scores? Read. How can I improve <laughs> my understanding? Read. How can I understand more about politics? Read. Just, you know, reading is such, it's so much a piece of who I am. Mm-hmm. And um, it's, it's I think, just an extraordinary thing for, for kids. And we, we forget to give ourselves time to do it. Some You know, we get busy as adults. We get busy as students. And we forget to give our time, ourselves time to read for pleasure. Because reading for pleasure teaches you so much. It teaches you how others use language. It teaches you empathy. It teaches you history in so many ways. So, yes, absolutely read. Read. Yes. Um, I was saying at commercial... Uh, listeners, I was telling Maria that my, my father was also a big reader. We were you know, she, in the very beginning of the show. She talked about how her mom read the newspaper every single day and wanted, she was curious. So you're right. And uh, interesting, interested students become interesting applicants. So read, read, read. That is a great one. Well, I want to give you a chance to share a little bit more um, about colleges that change lives and why everyone should, should have this book and know what it's all about and, um, you know, I have some of my favorites that were in that are in there, and and Agnes Scott is one of my f- favorite uh, campuses in in the country, and then Kalamazoo and Wabash is interesting. But share with the listeners um, about this book and why they need it. I think the the most useful piece in many ways is the opening chapters before you get to the profiles of the schools, right. which are helpful. But as with any printed item, as soon as you print it, it can become outdated. If they add a major tomorrow, then, you know, something is different right off the bat. So I think that the websites are going to give people the most accurate information about the schools themselves today. But those opening chapters really help you reframe the way that you think about the search to to get people away from the idea that it's all about rankings. It's all about name. It's all about big. It's all about whatever it might be. Um, I think that it just asks us to think about the search differently, and that's an incredibly important tool for each of us, student, parent, counselor, CBO leader, independent counselor, anybody. I think it's just really important for us to to go into this in a creative mindset and not be um, not be the, co- the, the family at the college fair where the mom says, oh, no, I don't know that school. You can't talk to them. And I've seen that happen so many times. So I think mm-hmm. that that can be um, – it can be very um, discouraging for students. Uh, we we do three basic things with colleges that change lives as an organization. Our goal is to again get people to think about this search differently, to get mm-hmm. them to set, step outside what they believe they know, and to really take the time to do a little research on schools and find out if they might be a place that w- where their student or they would thrive because they're challenged and supported. Number two, we talk a lot about the liberal arts. The liberal arts education is so valuable, it's so valid, and it's going to go with these students into jobs that do not exist today. Right. You know, when, when I read, let's train them for the jobs that are available, well, they're not looking for them yet. They won't be looking <laughs> for them as juniors and seniors for four or five years, five or six years. Right. So we need to train them to be able to step into jobs that are not existent today. And I usually do that with parents by asking parents to please raise their hands if they wanted to be web designers when they were in high school. <laughs> right. So yeah. 
Love we, it. Are, we are in a rapidly changing world, and we need yes. to give students an education that helps them tie together disparate pieces of information, that helps them learn well, that helps them become lifelong learners, and that helps them be creative problem solvers. Those are the skills that, that employers look for all the time. And then the last thing I would say is um, we do, as as many of your listeners are thinking, um, we do try to help these schools get additional visibility and schools like them. We're never trying mm-hmm. to say these are the only 44 schools that change yeah. lives. The mm-hmm. title came from what Lauren heard as he visited colleges and universities. Mm-hmm. And people would say, students, faculty, parents, alumni, staff, they would say, this place changed my life. I became a stronger, better thinker. I became a much better writer. I became more empathetic. I became better able to argue about what I believe and understand what why others believe what they believe. And so that 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 transformational educational experience came through in what he heard all the time. And and when faculty have small classes, they can look at you and say, you know, Cynthia, you're really good at this research thing. Have you thought about being part of my research team? Um, and that's not going right. to happen sometimes at the really big schools. Um, right. Okay. Go ahead. I was just going to say, if people are curious to learn more, because I know we're coming to the close, um, you can always follow us on our Facebook page, which is just Colleges That Change Lives. And I try to post three to five things a day that help people understand what the students, alumni, faculty, and schools are up to, as well as pieces about the liberal arts and about how this education is so valid. Um, And then they can follow us on Twitter. We are CTCL Colleges on Twitter. Uh, we also do roadshow programs, if you want to call them that. We do programs for students and parents and counselors around the country. We do about 25 to 27 programs a year uh, and four different tours. And if they go to our website today, they'll see the 2018 schedule. Um, we will have the 2019 schedule up fairly soon. I would guess probably within, if I'm lucky, within the next month or two. If 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 it gets delayed for some reason, which I do not expect, it will definitely be up at the after the first of the year. Uh, but please Fantastic. come and see us on the road if you yes. can. Yes. I'm glad that you gave your um, how to contact you. So we've given you tips and tales, but here is the real truth. There are plenty of seats at the table for anyone and everyone who wants to attend a four-year institution. I dare say there are several colleges out there that would trip over themselves to have you as one of their students. So if you're open to finding those colleges, you must learn to know before saying no. Next week, we have four-star general and NASA astronaut Kevin P. Chilton with us. Be sure to turn in, tune in next week, Wednesday at noon Pacific time, right here, same place, same time. Everyone, if you are looking to register for an essay boot camp um, or looking for my book, you can find everything you need to know at my website, www.drcynthiacolon.com. And you can also send an email to me at destinationuniversity at gmail.com. That is all for today, my dreamers. I am Dr. Cynthia Colon. If this episode has fueled confidence or helped build your dreams, please share this episode with three people in the next 30 minutes. Wherever you are, may you have a happy and sunny day. Until next week, have a good day. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening this week to Destination University. Be sure to join Dr. Cynthia Colon again next Wednesday at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel and get one step closer to your success.